You're listening to Illini Life Audio, messages from a community of Christian believers on the campus of University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. For more audio and video content, visit IlliniLife.org. First Peter chapter 2. So get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. Living stones for God's house. You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more? You are his holy priests. Through the meditation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor. And anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him. But for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word, and so they meet the fate that was planned for them. But you are not like them, for you are a chosen people. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful life. Once you had no identity as a people, Now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Dear friends, I warn you as Hey, good morning. Russ, I am also excited about the Super Bowl. Um, I'm all in on the Eagles. Anybody else feeling that? Anybody rooting for the Patriots? All right. That's awesome. God is good, right? Oh, man. Okay. So each week uh, here uh, on Sunday mornings in this series of 1 Peter, we've been having someone uh, come up and read a passage for us, Um, read the passage that we're looking at. And um, I decided to have somebody who's not with us do that. Um, You just heard from uh, an audio Bible called Streetlights. And Streetlights is an audio Bible that you can find online. You can download tracks. You can also find it on your iPhone or your Android. And it's, it's awesome. Like, it doesn't sound like the guy droning on in the NIV Bible app who's like, and then Peter went to Jesus, and it was good. Are you asleep? So it's awesome. It started by three guys who grew up in the Chicago, uh, the city of Chicago. Um, went to Moody Bible Institute together and said they wanted to do a project where people, no matter their education or knowledge of the Bible, so with their level of education, if you couldn't read, you can still engage in God's word. And that's what they wanted people to do. And so going back to their neighborhoods, engaging in the city, um, I think it's really cool, this mission to bring God's word in a way that's fresh and unique uh, and engaging. So I'd recommend it. I listened to First Peter on it probably about a dozen times in the past couple weeks just to get a sense of like, Hey, what is, what's Peter talking about? And you start to see, hear some themes. In 17 minutes, you can listen to the book. 17 minutes. So maybe instead of like throwing on a podcast, Russ, or throwing on some like music, the rest of you, 
maybe you maybe you throw on the Bible uh, as you're walking to and from places uh, if you don't want to talk to people and you have headphones in anyway. So we just listened to uh, our chunk of scripture that we're going to go through today. Um, but before we get to it, um, I just felt like I should tell you how I'm doing. Um, so those of you who are, are members here or have been around, uh, those of you who are new, welcome. Um, you know that about three months ago, my parents died in a car crash. Uh, they were they were leaving their church service, um, and they were going to dinner with some friends. And uh, as they were driving along the road, a semi came in front of them. They hit it, and um, they went to be with the Lord instantly. And I'm thankful they went to be with the Lord. I'm thankful for the example they had. I'm thankful for the gospel, that there's hope in the midst of that. Um, I felt a lot of grief. I've learned a lot of logistics. I don't know how much a funeral costs. Holy moly, a funeral. Oh, my gosh. Um, and I felt love from this family of faith. Um, now, I fear I, I won't take a ton. I'm going to tell you guys about my parents a little bit. Uh, my dad, my gosh, my wife tells me there's a ton of my dad in me. I like numbers, and I like math, and I like engineering, and that's, my dad worked his uh, 35,000 years as a probable risk assessment engineer for a nuclear power plant. That, I don't think there's a nerdier sounding job. Um, he's a good man who provided. He paid for my and my sister's education. Um, he consistently provided um, meals and care um, for us. My mom... Um, if you met her, you, you knew she was a grandma. Um, and it, I'm super, I'm thankful, um, Ashley, my wife, she's due in like three weeks. I'm thankful the baby didn't come early when I had to figure out like a video message or something like that. Um, my mom loved her, her grandkid. Um, she's gonna, she would have loved this one. Um, but she was generous. Oh, my gosh, Sec- secret behind the scenes generous. Like there was this woman who came up to me at my parents' visitation and um, – she told me about how they, they used to live in my hometown, Clinton, and they, uh, they had a kid who, who died at a young age. Um, and they buried that kid in Clinton, and then they, they had to move away for work. And uh, she told me that she just recently found out that she knew that the, the grave had flowers maintained on it. And she recently had found out that my mom was down there, like selfless, behind the scenes, like servant. And that's not to point to, to them. I think it's to point to Christ in them. But I just want to say it's really cool. So those are my parents. Um, let me tell you something. I have learned that death is not what we're made for. It's not right. Uh, and, and Peter, man, Peter's going to keep hitting us on this, that death is not right and there's hope afterwards. But if, feel free, if, if you know me or if you don't know me, you're like, I want to know about that. Can you tell me? Can you tell me how much funeral costs? Um, I'd love to talk with you. I, obviously, there's parts of me that want to grieve in private, but there's a huge part of me that wants to be in front of you all grieving and showing um, just the pain that comes with sorrow. Um, so Peter actually has been a real comfort to me um, in the midst of all of this. First Peter chapter 1 which Russ uh, spoke about a couple weeks ago, verses 6 and 7 says, In all this, 
the hope of the resurrection that comes from Jesus and our resurrection, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have been had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, it's, it's way worth way more than gold, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And I, I have so much hope in resurrection. And so let's talk about that. How's that sound? Get it. All right. I have found my faith has been genuinely tested, and I feel like if I had hit any more chips, I'd put them in with Jesus. Like, just keep going. Like, I'm all in on this. Um, I've seen his goodness in the midst of pain. Okay, so our first two weeks uh, here in First Peter, uh, as we're going through this eight-week series, um, we saw a lot of background. We saw the background of, of what uh, First Peter's about and who it's from, who it's written to. Uh, and then we also saw uh, a lot of language about standing firm and growing in our faith and living it out. Um, but a lot of this has been foundational work for the rest of the book. And this week is going to be more of that because it's helpful to know the, the theological underpinnings, the stuff that's like underneath before you go any further to, to what's beyond, right? You can't do instructions without knowing why the instructions. So we have to read the instructions through Jesus, and so let's talk about Jesus. So today we're going to look at 1 Peter 2, 4 through 10. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, you can pull it out. I'll have some verses up here, but it's fun to sometimes come along. And I was just talking to somebody, man, if you take notes, I bet you you'll pay attention for like five more minutes longer than you normally would. So uh, maybe you maybe use that connection card, the other half, and jot some thoughts down. All right, here's what to look for in this passage. First, there's a lot of references to the Old Testament. Uh, they're highlighted in yellow up there. Um, what's really cool about this, I think there's two things that are really cool about this. One, if you want to sound really fancy, you say the whole council of Scripture matters. Um, if you don't want to sound fancy, say the whole Bible is important. Um, because what it means is, is we don't get to just read First Peter. By, if we just read First Peter without the Hebrew Scriptures, without the Old Testament, it wouldn't have the richness that it does. That's why knowing and understanding and reading the whole Bible is important. Secondly, it shows us that, that the church, Christians, the believers, um, are part of a rich history, a promised people that have not just sort of cropped up in the last 2,000 years because of whatever, but who have been promised since the beginning of time. Also, you're going to see a lot about stones. Let's see if we can figure that thing out. And there's going to be some lofty language uh, towards the end of the section. So uh, with that, let me pray, and then we'll get going, okay? Lord, I pray that you would use me. You'd use me to preach your word, um, that your word would be uh, powerful and effective, that it would be a scalpel cutting to our hearts, performing the spiritual surgery we need to transform us, and not just for us to learn, but to be transformed by your word. Amen. All right, let's start. Verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone. Okay, whenever we jump into a section of the Bible, uh, we need to remember that there's usually stuff before it and stuff after it, unless you're like right at the beginning or you're right at the end, right? Okay. So, uh, so there's stuff before this. So who is him? Because if, if, if you were like reading this section by itself, you're like, who's him? Guess what? It says who him is. Verse 3 says, the Lord. All right, as you come to the Lord, meaning Jesus, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. Okay, Jesus is a living stone. Let's talk about this stone thing for a second, okay? 
if it's helpful for you, uh, this is not imagery like plucked out of nowhere and Peter being like, hey, like, Jesus called, like, my name's Rock. Wouldn't it be cool to, like, do some Rock things? Uh, Peter also, as the Rock, doesn't give himself a special position as a Rock. He just sort of says, hey, we're stones together with this living stone. But I wonder, I do wonder, if God gave him that image so that he could draw from the, the Scriptures, from the whole Bible, to see these images of a Rock. Because even before the time of Jesus, it was, it was sort of a common understanding that this living rock, this cornerstone, this stone of stumbling, was refer- referring to the Savior, or if you want to speak Hebrew, the Messiah. So, Jesus is also very clear about this. He says, you know, hey, I'm, I, I am this stone. So, there's not much, like, to dispute on that one, okay? But, the stone was rejected. Okay, and so we know this, right? Like, Jesus was rejected on a Roman cross. He was executed. By the way, I don't know how many of you guys have a version of Jesus that people would kill. I don't know, do you have a version of Jesus in your, in your understanding that, that people would kill him because they were so offended by his message, how, it, how it's so different than the message of um, self-exaltation and lifting up? Uh, this message is, is counter to our culture today still. So, Jesus was rejected. Let's keep going. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. Stop. Uh, Peter is, if you recall, he's writing to people who believe in Jesus, the church. Um, This image of rejected stones, along with their hope in another rejected stone, might look like rubble to some because it's rejection, right? We don't want that. But I think instead, it's this beautiful image of a precious place. Can we, can we go to those pictures? Do we go past the pictures? No? Okay. Yeah, there you go. That's rubble. You get that? Those pictures are helpful for me. Keep going. Oh, my gosh. This temple underneath the heavens, this temple that is meant to be um, just a glorious place for God to be lifted up and praised. So together, which is really important. So it's not a bunch of scattered rocks that is the church. It's a together, a structure together. And so when a lot of people talk about like, well, do you, my faith is a personal thing, I say, nope. It can't be. It can't be a personal thing because we're, we're together in a spiritual house. And so it's, there's our togetherness required and implied in the passage. That's why we do small group communities because we don't want you just to feel like you are alone on an island and together on a Sunday and that's it. But we gather together in different places to be living stones where God is worshipped. But this word house, um, it has a couple meanings, right? It has a couple meanings in our language. And um, if you care about Greek or things like that, because I know some of you are like, give me some Greek, please. Uh, the word that, that Peter uses here is oikos. I know what you're thinking. Yogurt. No, it's actually, it's a, it's a similar word to house, but it has a little elevation to it. And it has the same double meaning to it, where it means a spiritual house, like a royal house, like a building. But it also has this image of a family, a royal family, like the House of Windsor. Anybody watch The Crown? Nope? Okay. Guys, when you get to be like 30, period costume drama, what do you call it, Casey? A period piece costume drama or something like that? I just think it's kind of fun. Um, maybe, maybe that doesn't make sense to you. Like a royal family, like that doesn't make sense to you. Maybe these houses make sense to you. Okay. 
The point is we have been adopted into a house. God has chosen us. The sorting hat of the Holy Spirit has chosen us and said, we are all in here. Okay? Is that, is the sorting, is that a thing? I've never read those books. Um, see, a stone of stumbling. Look at that. Um, okay, there's, there's more in this passage about priests and sacrifice and things like that. We'll get to that, I promise you, okay? But we're not going to get to that now because Peter gives me a chance to talk about it at the end of the passage. All right, let's keep going uh, to verse 6. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. All right, little Bible reading pro tip. When you see a block quote like this, it means it's quoting something. I don't know if you guys knew that or not. Um, in, in many Bibles, you'll find, uh, you'll find references to what that's quoting. And so what's really cool is you start to see, oh, Peter is talking about these Old Testament passages. He's looking to prophets before exile, prophets in exile. That's why Peter keeps using this language of exiles, um, because he's drawing these themes together. So let's talk about this cornerstone thing, though. Uh, you, you guys are all smart. You probably know exactly what a cornerstone is, right? But can I tell you what it is anyway? Thanks, Jamil. Um, somebody else said it too, but I, I don't know. Okay, cornerstone. Three things about a cornerstone. It's the first stone in a structure. It's the very first. Okay, so if Jesus is this stone, it's the first stone. The first stone in a new temple, a new creation. Secondly, the stone determines where the structure is going to be at, right? Once you lay a cornerstone, you're sort of like, all right, the building has to go this direction and this direction now. It can't go like this way and this way because the stone's been laid. And so the stone gives us a reference frame to follow. And I think Jesus gives us a reference frame to follow in our lives to us. And finally, this is super cool. So a cornerstone, now we, you know, we lay foundations and all this stuff, and we have, like, levels and things like that. But in, in this day and age, a cornerstone was something that a building would be leveled to and plumbed to, so like vertical leveling. So every other stone has to be laid in reference to the cornerstone. That's how rich this image is, that all of our lives need to be laid in reference to who Jesus is. And together, again and again, oh my gosh, so cool. But this new temple isn't made out of dumb rocks. Uh, It's made out of people with souls, living stones. And I just love that image, right? It's it's an image, you guys aren't, we're not actually going to be rocks in heaven if that's helpful for you. Um, but it's a powerful image. Now, P- Peter also, in this passage he references, it says they will not be put to shame. And I, I don't know about you guys, I think you can feel like, well, being a Christian is a shameful thing in our culture. Right? Like, there's just things that, like, Christians believe that are weird. Like, seriously, he rose from the dead? He ascended to heaven? What? Virgin Birth? Yeah, I saw that show. Anyone watch Jane the Virgin? Is that a show? I've never seen it. I have no idea. Is that a thing? Okay, great. Um, but what God is saying is, in his, in his text and Peter's referencing, is shame is not about what people think. Shame and honor come from God. Particularly, honor comes from God. God is saying, you will not need to feel shame because you are mine. I have chosen you. So when you feel shame for aligning your life to Jesus, let me encourage you, God says you don't need that. 
You don't need that. And in the end, you're not going to be put to shame. All right, let's keep going. Let's get to the part that everybody wants to talk about. I wonder where I have to say it at. Verses 7 and 8. Now to those who believe, the stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, you're in here and you're, that's you. This is going to be great. The stone has become, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. That's like restatement, so it means that's really important. So like clearly we're saying, Jesus is the cornerstone. He is rejected. He's the cornerstone. Verse 8. And it's a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Okay. So what's the deal with the stumbling thing? Is, there, is, is Jesus sticking out his hand and, like, tripping people? Or is, like, he, like, a really shiny rock and, like, reflecting the sun, and you're, like, blinded and you fall over? No. Okay. <laughs> uh Instead, I think people stumble over Jesus because he's scandalous. Because he does not fit our understanding of the world. He does not fit our understanding of get yours, treat yourself, work hard and you'll get it. All the things that that we sort of have as our ethos, right? The American dream. I think the American dream isn't even stuff anymore. I think it's experiences, right? But like Jesus isn't about get the most experiences, get the most stories you can tell people. And Jesus isn't about your stories are going to exalt you or your stuff's going to exalt you or de- your deeds are going to exalt you. I am exalted. And follow me and you will be too. You will have honor. This actually, the word scandal comes from the Greek here. You Greek guys, you ready? Scandalon. That's what a stumbling stone is, a scandalon. And so we get that word from there. So uh, that's kind of cool, right? So I think... The reality is, like, Jesus is hard, and I think a lot of us probably have stumbled over him in our life. In fact, I think all of us have at some point stumbled over Jesus. Because Peter's saying here, and he's, he's not offering a third way. He's saying, okay, if you come up to Jesus, this living stone, you're like, all right, I'm going to build my life on that. You don't, or you're going to stumble. You don't get to be like, Jesus, I'm going to deal with that later. We don't get to do that. Peter is saying we don't get to deal with Jesus later when we encounter God in flesh, the living stone. We have to do something about it. And I love that. Like even at our at our free coffee tent, when somebody hears we're church, they're being encountered with a little bit of that living stone, and they're making a choice, right? So, again, I want to say I think for all of us who've accepted Christ, there are moments we stumbled. Beforehand, this 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 message is hard. Um, I don't want to like sugarcoat it, right? There's a lot of times we can be like, we read the Bible and like, well, how does it fit me though? Like, can I can I read my perspective into it? Or you could like change your perspective based on God's word. Like, those might that might be a better way to do it. It's hard. It's uncomfortable. It causes us to change the way we live and the way we think. But it's the foundation. It's a good cornerstone. All right, let's go on. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. Who's ready for like a Calvinist throwdown? We're not going to go there. Because this passage doesn't go there. Can you believe it? Okay. First off, disobedience. Uh, Peter actually talks about this earlier in in, uh, his book. He says, the obedience to the message is a good thing. And what he's saying, he's not saying like do good stuff and obey 
me like with really good stuff. He's saying, this truth of who Jesus is, are you going to obey that truth? Are you going to live in that truth? Or are you going to disobey it? So people stumble because they disobey the truth. They say the stumbling stone isn't, the stone isn't a cornerstone. It's something, it's not worth it, and they stumble over it. And, and if, you're, if destined is uncomfortable for you, let me just offer this. We're all destined to stumble because we've all rejected God in our lives at some point. We've all said, nope, I got this. It's in our, it's in our DNA to say, God, nope, I got this. So, in a lot of ways, we're all destined for that. But what, what tense Peter is using and how this works, like, we were destined for that. But Peter isn't saying, all right, like, who's in is who's in and who's out, who's, who's out. Later in this book, he actually talks about ways that people who have said, yes, Jesus is the cornerstone of my life, can go on and be a light to their friends and invite them into the same spiritual family. Because it's not like a family that has, like, a number of slots to be filled. Like, God is gracious and wants all people to be reconciled to him. Okay. That may not satisfy you. If it doesn't, you can come talk to me. Um, But I just want to encourage you guys, let's not do mental gymnastics to make the Bible fit us. Um, let's, Let's wrestle with it if it bothers us. Let's let it say what it says. Read people who have studied it and try to understand it. Um, and typically, there's a good consensus when we when we look at the scriptures on things like this. But as Russ said in week one, it's still mysterious. Um, God does some things that seem really hard, like killing Jesus. They're going to bring greater glory. And we don't necessarily see the whole picture yet. Okay. Let's keep going. We're done with stones. How's that feel? You guys get it now? Stones, awesome. Um, okay, well, let's get to some lofty language. Um, Peter goes on and he gives four titles to the church. Okay, and what I love about these titles is these are titles that were given to God's people, the Israelites, long ago. And Peter is saying, guess what? You guys are fulfilling that even more. It's being fulfilled because Christ has made a new people a new priesthood, a new nation, a special possession. Peter has, like, a super high view of the church. Do you ever, you ever, like, sit around here and be like, meh? Or like, man, I wish, I wish my leaders were better. Or do you ever, like, look at another church and be like, those guys. Those who Jesus has called to him are chosen, are royal. We don't mess around with, like, it's royal. It's not small. It's not, like, little. We don't have, like, we hate royalty in America, right? But, like, let's just imagine how important that is, how big that is. Peter is saying, all right, church, you're a bunch of redeemed sinners, but let's talk more about the redeemed component, the reclaimed for God component than the sinner component. Reclaimed from a former life disobedience to the message, as Peter speaks about before. All right, I want to talk about these. I'm going to break them into three things. There's four titles. Two of them are kind of similar enough that for the sake of time, we can do them together. So first off, a chosen people and a special possession. All right, that's God has chosen us. He's picked us. We're, we're his. He owns us as the church. 
if you're like somebody who's stumbling, like, it's okay that God owns you. It's a really, really good thing. Now, this, this new people who are chosen, um, some, some translations might say a chosen race. Um, what I love about this is that this, this is the start of the cure for racism, the start of the cure for bigotry, because this chosen race is not about a skin color, an education level, a financial bracket. It's about God. It's not about a moral rightness. It's not about a moral wrongness. It's about who God is. And God has chosen us because we said, yeah, this cornerstone looks pretty good. Now, this needs some new relationships too, though, right? Let me give you an example. My wife, her name's Ashley. She's awesome. Um, she agreed to marry me. Oh, I don't it's awesome. So effectively, she chose me. She said, you're all right. Um, my life as a result has changed. But it's better. It's so much better. I have said I've been chosen, and my life is better because I've been chosen. There's just a security in being chosen. I just love that. I love the beauty of that, that, that my life is going to change, but change for the better, and I'm chosen by God. How much more? Like, Ashley's great, but God? Like, Tippy toes. Um, now, somebody, somebody mentioned this in my small group. I just thought I would, I feel like somebody might be thinking this. There are hate groups that use this kind of same language, right? Like, we're a chosen people. And, like, they're always, like, the same skin color. Or, like, really mean. And, like, nope. Like, God has chosen people. You don't get to choose people. We don't, we don't get to choose who God chooses. Okay, let's talk about the holy nation. In calling the believers a holy nation, uh, Peter's establishing a, a new citizenship. You guys got your passports to heaven? Or you guys get those in the mail yet? Okay. Um, this is why Peter uses this term exiles, because we're, we're not for here. We're exiled um, because of the ways we live or the ways we think. We have this sort of dual citizenship, but the, the primary citizenship is to heaven to the new creation in Jesus. Now, at the same time as being exiles, we have also have this opportunity to be ambassadors. You know what ambassadors do? Um, they get special appointments to go stay in really nice places, right? Um, no, like, an, well, if they're actually doing their job, an ambassador is supposed to make the case for the kingdom they come from. To make the case and say, hey, this is worthwhile. This is a good kingdom with a good king. I don't know how many times you guys feel like when you represent your faith to others, do you feel like you're covering up for the awkward stuff? Or do you feel like you're exalting the great things about who God is, the amazing things about Jesus, the risen Lord? I just wonder. I know I can feel like I'm trying to cover up uh, as an ambassador. I'd probably get fired really quick um, if I were representing a real, like a physical country. This, this new nation thing is so big, right? Okay, so um, Russ mentioned when this book was written. Um, when this letter was written, it was written before the Emperor Nero uh, of Rome, like, set Rome to fire and blame the Christians, and this big persecution happened. Um, Rome wouldn't do that if they didn't see a superpower growing in their midst, a superpower that lived differently, not by borders, but by values, by a king um, who's not bound by uh, 
you know, checkpoints and passports and things like that. All right, let's talk about this last one. It's good that Peter uh, uses this twice, so I can put it here as opposed to up where it was before. Um, now, what the heck is a royal priesthood? Uh, now, if you guys look under your seats, you will find, everyone will find a white collar. You can put that in. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Um, okay, let's talk about the first thing, royal. It means we're adopted. It means we're, we're chosen by a king, right? We're chosen by someone who's royal. Do you guys know who this is? Not that. No, one more. Anybody know her? What's her name? Meghan Markle. Okay, I had no idea who the heck she was um, until like two months ago. And then, so she's, okay, so she's an actress. She's not like a big-time actress, but she's not, right? But she's like an actress. She's like good, right? Does that feel fair? I don't know movies and TV shows, so, except for The Crown. Oh, my gosh. Um, okay. So she's important because this guy asked her to marry him. His name's Harry. He's a prince. He's the fifth in line to the throne of England. We don't care, right? Because we're all about like, no monarchy, King George the tyrant, President Washington. Wow. Okay. So check this out, though. She... She's an actress, and a lot of people know her because she's an actress. But because she was chosen by royalty, she it was way more important. She became way more important, not because of what she did, but because of someone who chose her. And again, like, this, like, ginger dude, way less cool than God. Is, that a, is ginger, like, offensive thing? I thought they'd get a laugh. Never mind. Okay. Okay. It hurts. I'm sorry, David. Um... This makes sense. Like, this is important. You have a new identity as a royal priest that is way more important than your career choice. Way more important than the things you decide to do with your life because you've been chosen by God. You have a greater identity than doctor, than lawyer, than engineer, than scientist, than researcher, than McDonald's employee, whatever it is. Like, you live that out in light of the royalty that you are as a chosen person of God. The priest thing. I made the collar joke because we don't we don't talk about priests much in our culture, right? Um, or at least in this church. Um, maybe should, Wayne, do you want to do the collar thing? Yeah, I didn't think so. Um, we don't talk about it, and so we we don't have context for it. And so maybe maybe it's helpful for us to like give some context to it. I think priests do three big things. They did this in the time of Peter, and we have a chance to do them in a new way now. Okay, so this might be your, app, your like, big application. Like, you're trying to figure out, how am I going to live in light of this passage? The first is that priests reflect God's holiness. Okay, so, like, in, in the time of Peter, with, you know, a plurality of gods, a priest represented their deity. Like, they'd, you know, be, like, wearing your Yeezys or something. You know who you're representing. Um, and so, these priests represented their gods. And so, the priests of Yahweh, the, the Jewish God, and who is our God, um, represented their God by living holy lives, by living separate from um, the rest of the world in their actions, in their attitudes. Um, now, for us, I feel like the ways we talk about holy living are like, make sure you treat alcohol properly and make sure you treat sex properly. And those are great. Those are like huge foundational things because those things affect us a ton. 
But what if we lived, we reflected God's holiness in the way we treated our resources, like our money and our time? What if we were set apart from the way the world understands money? Oh my gosh, it'd be huge. What if we understood community different than the rest of the world did? What if in, just a crazy thought, what if in an era where we are so concerned with privacy, we're considered to live with openness? I just think that is a different value system that is based in who God is. So we get a chance to reflect his holiness in those ways. Secondly, priests represent God to others. So in, in, in Peter's time, you know, the priest would, you know, offer sacrifices and intercede and things like that. Um, they'd offer a chance to somebody, for somebody to interact with the holy, right? Like we see this sometimes when people are like, oh, my gosh, I saw the Pope. He's so holy. Um, what if people were like, oh, my gosh, I saw Zach. He's so holy. Like, what if people had a chance to interact with God dwelling within us because of our actions, because of our care for people, because of our, our affection for people? Are you, willing, are you willing to be the spiritual friend in your group? The one who people, like, are like, when you're just the two of you, they're like, actually, I'm having a really hard time. Does anybody do that? You feel like, you, does anybody have that friend in their friend group? I had this guy... Tangent. I have time? Sure. No, I don't. Never mind. Okay. The last thing priests do is they reconcile others to God. Again, in Peter's day, this would have meant sacrifices, killing a bull, killing a goat, killing a ram, killing a dove, lots of killing of animals, um, to put the sin upon them. But Jesus, who is the Lamb of God, sin has been put upon him. And so we have an opportunity to communicate this message of reconciliation to help people see this message of reconciliation and through our ministry offer reconciliation to help see if our relationship is being made right with God, why wouldn't we want other people to have that? Like, it's just selfish if you don't. All these things encompassed together, I think, are what Peter's starting to get at by offering spiritual sacrifices to God through Je- acceptable through Jesus. Living in these ways towards people, offering our lives, our resources, our time, our money for others, taking a break from the task that takes our grade a little better and saying, I care about you enough to take a break from that. All right. All of this, all of this, these spiritual sacrifices, these different roles are so that we may declare the praises of him who call us out of darkness and in a marvelous light. I don't get to sing the praises of Alan. I don't get to sing the praises of a line of life. I don't get to sing the praises of Collegiate Church Network. I get to sing the praises of him who called me out of darkness into marvelous light. Can I get an amen? Oh, my gosh. How many people stumble in the dark, too? What if this light allows people to not stumble anymore and live on the cornerstone? Let's not stumble in the dark anymore, but live in the light. And invite people into it. That, oh, my gosh, this evangelism word is so scary. That's evangelism. Calling people to live in marvelous and wonderful light. That's beautiful news, okay? Let's let's talk about this last part of this passage. Peter ends with, once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. 
Anybody ever heard of a book in the Old Testament called Hosea? Okay, okay. If you haven't heard of Hosea, check it out. Hosea's a prophet who God's like, hey, I want you to marry a prostitute. You guys know that's in the Bible? Oh, my gosh. You guys got to read it, okay? So he's like, marry a prostitute. She's going to leave you, and I want you to go back to her. All right, so like prostitute, think about what happened before. Not too much, but what happened before? Calling you to be mine and then saying like, oh, you ran away. I'm going to bring you back again. And, and God's like, hey, that's me. You're me, and that prostitute is my people. And then God said, mic drop. Like, oh, my gosh. Like, he's saying we, we are stumbling all the time. Like, we are destined for it, and yet God is keeping on calling us back. You might want to read that one. That's kind of cool. Um, in, in chapter 2, verse 23 of that book, um, God says this. He says, essentially, there will be a people who are not my people who are going to be my people. And Peter is saying, in Jesus, in the church, this is fulfilled. And there's, again, there's no roster spots that are like full up and we can't have any more of. God is saying, I want to keep making a people through Jesus. A scattered and disorganized people who were not a people are now a people, a temple where worship occurs. I have more in common with a brother or sister in China in a secret underground church than I do with my neighbor who's a Packers fan because of Christ. Does that make sense? Like, we could talk about Aaron Rodgers for days. But, oh, my gosh, language barrier, geographical barrier, complexity, I have more in common with that brother halfway around the world than I do with my neighbor. No, I want my neighbor to know Jesus because I want him to be built into the same temple that I'm being built into with all of you. I wouldn't know you if it were for Jesus. I wouldn't call you family if it weren't for Jesus. I wouldn't be on this campus if it weren't for Jesus, so I definitely wouldn't know you. You can make a bank as an engineer, right? Um, okay, so what? All of this, real quick. You fell asleep. If you fell asleep, this is the chance to hear what this passage is about. We have to decide how, what we're going to do when we encounter Jesus. Are we going to accept him and receive these glorious titles and this great responsibility to be priests? Or will we reject him? And Peter offers this opportunity to people who have rejected him for us to be lights to them still over and over again as neighbors, as friends. And those are coming up in our next few messages of First Peter. So with that, I think we should probably do some singing, right? Um, Russ, we should do some singing, right? That's fine. That's, yeah, that's your cue. That's fine. Um, I, uh, I just want to introduce this song real quick. I know. Sorry. Um, I asked Russ if we could play this song. It was um, it's a song that we, we uh, played at my parents' funeral. Um, my dad would sing this song, and... I think it's beautiful because it talks about rocks. And it talks about standing firm. And so would you, would you guys join us as we, as we talk about clinging to this rock, this cornerstone of who Jesus is in the midst of trials, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of being different. Amen? <laughs>